Okay, June 6th, 1944. June 6th, 1944. Raise your hands. How many know the significance of that date? A few? Okay. So June 6th, 1944, this is D-Day. This is, um, in World War II, this is the moment that changed the entire course of World War II. So up, leading up to World, uh, June 6th, 1940, leading up to D-Day, uh, Hitler and his Nazis and the Axis powers had conquered a lot of Europe. Um, all of France, Poland, other countries. And it seemed like things were on the trajectory that they were about to conquer the entire continent and perhaps had higher aspirations as well. And then what happened on June 6, 1944, was something, not something, it was a surprise and deceptive attack by the Allied forces landing on the beaches of France at Normandy. And this surprise and deceptive attack caught Hitler and the Nazis completely off guard. And uh, they still suffered many losses, the Allies did. We've, I mean, we've seen, maybe seen, you know, it's like uh, Saving Private Ryan and other movies like that. Uh, but nonetheless, this, they overwhelmed the Nazis with numbers and with their, their weapons and their power. And eventually, this led to the complete overthrow of Hitler and his Nazis and the Axis powers, right? So this was, this was the turning point of World War II. Everything changed after D-Day. Okay, now, imagine for a minute with me. Imagine you live in France in 1944, and imagine there is no war going on, right? Everything is peaceful, and France is France, right? It's, it hasn't been overtaken. It's just its own country. And so imagine you're, you're with your friends, and you decide to go to the beach, and you're hanging out on the beach. It's June, so it's a nice summer day, and one of your friends notices some things on the horizon, on the ocean, and it seems like maybe there's some boats, but you're not sure, and they just get closer and closer, and soon it realize, you realize that they're not just some boats, but these are like several boats that are just keep coming closer and closer. And eventually they land on the beaches where you are and they plop open. And when they plop open, a whole bunch of soldiers, people dressed in army gear in their, their helmets and their clothes and they've got weapons, right? And it's clear that these people are ready for a fight and there's no war fight going on, right? And so you're like looking around and saying, what are you doing here? I think you came to the wrong spot. Right? If you don't know the context, or if there is no context for D-Day, then the arrival of the Allies at Normandy, it doesn't make sense. It seems foolish. But once you know the context, and once there is a context, then it makes sense. Right? So we have to know the whole story. So now, switch, switch, switch gears a little bit. So still June 1944, in France, you live there. You're a French citizen. And your country has been conquered by this evil tyrant and his regime. What does life look like for you? It's miserable, right? Your country's been destroyed. Your family's been scattered, perhaps killed. Your life, your future has been destroyed, messed up, ruined forever. Right? You don't know that the allies are coming. And so for you, there, there's no hope. Because this tyrant has decided that he just wanted to take over a continent. He wanted to take over your country, and so he did. And life for you, for the rest of your life, means misery and despair. So then imagine you wake up on June 7th, 1944, and you go out your front door and you notice the newspaper on your front step. And on the front page of the newspaper... There's a picture and one big word in capital and bold letters at the top that just says, invasion. And then there's an entire article that talks about how these, these troops came from thousands of miles away to fight 
and not just to fight, but to overthrow the tyrant. And it doesn't, seem, it doesn't even say that they came to do this, but that they are doing it. And that it's not, it's not a matter of if they can conquer Germany, but it's, it's a matter of when they overthrow the tyrant and chase them out of your country, that it's going to happen. And so as you're reading this article, as you see this newspaper, as you see this one big word, what kind of news is that? What? Are you kidding me? Right? Like, these people came from thousands of miles away just to fight and rescue me? Many of them died. Thousands of them gave up their lives just so that I could be free again? And you're asking me what kind of news this is? Like, there's nothing better. I, I had no life. I had no future. There was nothing for me. And now, everything's changed. And I can start imagining and dreaming, not what life could be like, but what life will be like. Because these people invaded secretly and deceptively to overthrow the tyrant. That's the best news I can think of. Why am I talking about this? Right, we're supposed to be talking about Lent and Jesus. Well, this is the thing. As Christians, as Catholic Christians, as Christians, we profess to believe. We say that we believe what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ is even better than that. We at least say that. But the problem is that for most of us, we don't know the story. We don't know the context. For most of us, we don't even know that there is a context. And so whenever we hear about the good news of the gospel, whenever we hear about Jesus' landing on earth, about how he's come to save us and rescue us, we just kind of look around and we say, Jesus, what are you doing here? I think you came to the wrong spot. I, I know we've got some problems on earth, but do we need to be so dramatic to say that God comes down to die for us and that somehow his death and resurrection saves us from something and I don't even really know what that something is? From sin? I'm not that bad a guy. But this, is, this is the mentality that, again, maybe, maybe some of us aren't even aware of this, but generally speaking, this is the mentality that many, most of us have because we don't know the whole story. And because we don't know the whole story, we can hear about what God has done in the person of Jesus and we can just kind of think it's a bit much. It doesn't make sense to us. It seems foolish. It's incredibly important for us to understand that Jesus is, yes, he is the central figure. He is the figure. Without him, there is no Christianity. But we, it's, it's important for us to know that he's at the center of a much bigger story. And that it's only when we know that bigger story that we can truly understand and fully grasp and let ourselves be captured to a place where we can surrender everything to him. If we don't know that, then there's no way I'm surrendering my life to that. So my, my goal for this Lent and into Easter is very simple. is to tell the story. The story, historically speaking, is called the kerygma, which is a Greek word that means proclamation. So the sermon series, the homily series, is called the proclamation. My goal is to preach, proclaim, the kerygma, the gospel message of what God has done in the person of Jesus. And that message, that whole story, is four parts. The goodness of creation, sin and its consequences, 
God's response to sin and our response to what God has done. Of course, we know God's response is Jesus. But we have to know, he doesn't come until third in the story. We're not going to start talking about Jesus ultimately until like the fifth Sunday of Lent. We have to talk about, and for most of us, for most of us, the story starts with Jesus, either because it was our formation growing up, or this is the way the priest has spoken to us, or this is what we learn in faith formation classes, whatever it is. For most of us, that story begins with Jesus, and so we don't even know the rest of the, the, the part that comes before. Or maybe we know a little bit of it, but we're just so quick to breeze over it so that we can just get to Jesus. But I'm, I'm confident of this, that if we do that, if we just get to Jesus, then he's not that big a deal. And so it's important for us to really spend time in these first two parts, and so that's what we're going to do for the next four Sundays. And my hope, my hope is that as we get this fuller picture of who Jesus is and what God has done in him, my hope is that something would happen inside of our hearts. I can't make that happen, but my hope is that something would happen that would actually be life-changing for us, for each of us, and because it's for each of us, for us as a community. That's my hope, that, that together we can get to a place where we understand and are with St. Paul when he says to the Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. The gospel translated as the good news, but not just good news. We're talking about life-changing, transformational good news that changes everything about the way that I see life, everything about the way that I live my life. The word power there, it, it, it has the same root as the word for dynamite. That when I see the full picture of Jesus and when I encounter Jesus in his fullness, there is something like an explosion that goes off inside of my heart, an explosion of God's grace. But rather than an explosion that scatters things, it's an explosion that actually brings everything together for me so that suddenly I can see clearly to answer those big questions that God has planted in my heart and that I too easily overlook or don't even think about asking. Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? Where am I going? Am I, am I supposed to be aimed toward a, partic a particular spot or goal? And if so, how do I get there? When I encounter Jesus in the gospel, all of this is made clear for me, and that is the one thing that I live for, because I've been brought to a place of salvation. That word salvation in Latin, it has the same root as the word for health, that when I encounter Jesus, I am healed and made whole. And we know this. We know this because when we read the stories of the gospel, what happens? So many times when people encounter Jesus, what happens? They're healed Physically, sure, but more than anything, they're healed spiritually so that he gives them a certain wholeness, a certain confidence, a certain freedom to live their lives for God and the purpose that he made for them that they didn't have or they didn't even know that they could have before. That's the goal, the hope, that we would all come to that kind of a place where God's grace explodes in our lives and causes something new to happen within us so that Jesus is the one person that we live for because we've surrendered everything to him. That's the goal. That's the vision. Now, some of you hopefully are, are saying, okay, this sounds great. What do I have to do, right? Like, just tell me. I know some of you are probably like, okay, Father, whatever. What do you want me to do, right? And if that's you, I just really encourage you to reconsider. 
If you think that this is silly or that this is pointless or that this isn't going to do anything for you, I just really invite you to reconsider and to open yourself up. But for you who are excited and saying, okay, this sounds great, what do I have to do? Well, you have to do our three parts, very simple. The first part is the most complicated of them, but the first part is also pretty simple. Show up and follow along. Show up and follow along. I mentioned this last week or last Sunday that every week during Lent and Easter, I will have an outline of my homily printed in the bulletin or on other pieces of paper so that as you come into mass, as you come to church, you can grab an outline. And when I'm preaching, you can follow along so that it's a little bit easier. I'll have pencils as well. You can bring your own. And I encourage you to underline, to take notes. There's a way sometimes, you know, we can come to mass and we can be just totally passive. You know, we just sort of sit back and don't really pay attention and just kind of let our mind wander. And, you know, great. It's, it's great that you're here at Mass. But there's something about being at Mass, about fully engaging in the Mass, where our mind can be activated, that then the message of the Gospel can really sink in more clearly and more fully. So I just encourage you, whatever way is going to help you to fully engage, that's what I encourage you to do. I think for a lot of us, that's going to mean grabbing an outline, following along, maybe taking some notes. But I know that not everyone learns that way, and that's fine. Anyway, so, so uh, grab an outline. Second, so this is still the first part here, uh, showing up and following along. It's going to be really helpful for you to bring your Bible with you to Mass. Because we're not going to talk about the readings that are proclaimed to us during Mass, but we are going to talk about passages from Scripture. Sometimes we're going to go line by line through dif different passages, and it's going to be very helpful for you to be able to follow along. So to bring your Bible with you, and the, the passages will be in the outlines, so you'll be able to look them up maybe before Mass, or you'll be able to look them up really, really easily uh, then and there. We're especially going to spend a lot of time looking at Genesis chapters 1 through 3. Genesis chapters 1 through 3. Those are going to be very helpful passages or, or, or chapters for us to, to be familiar with, to look through. So I encourage you to read those, actually. Now, with that, kind of a sub-point here, we're not talking about the readings, but I also don't want to just dismiss the readings as though they're not important, because they are important. I've mentioned this before. One thing I do every week on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I make a little Bible study video, and I put it on YouTube so that uh, we look at the readings that are coming up on Sunday, so that when Mass comes, I don't have to be at a place where I say, gosh, I don't know what that reading meant. But instead, I've studied it, I've read it, I've become familiar with it, and maybe the Lord can speak to me through it, even though I'm not going to be preaching about it. So that's, that's an optional thing, it's not a required thing. The next sort of optional thing is that I know that sometimes people are, you know, they have, they're with their friends or their family, and so they have to go to Mass someplace else on a Sunday. And that's fine. I think it's going to be best for you and for all of us if we're all here every Sunday during Lent and into Easter, but I understand sometimes you have plans and you have to go to Mass somewhere else on a Sunday, and that's fine. I record all the homilies, and I'm going to put them on the parish website, oggcatholic.org. This is in the outlines. It's in the bulletins. You can go there, and the outlines will be there as well so that you can still listen to them, because if you miss, there's going to be a gap in the story. And that gap will be a meaningful gap because every one of these homilies is meaningful and is part of the story. So I encourage you really to listen uh, so that you can follow along and keep up, right? So that's all, show up and, and follow along. The second part, much more simple. There's gonna be homework sometimes. Homework meaning to read a couple of chapters of scripture or maybe just even a couple of verses. For example, before Sunday, I encourage you to read Genesis chapters one and two. Two chapters, it'll take you 10 minutes at the most. But to read those, become familiar with them so that when I talk about them during the homily, they can be something that's familiar to you, that you can easily locate them, that kind of thing. But sometimes there'll be scripture passages. And then sometimes there'll be um, 
reflection questions for you to just think about, to reflect on. Maybe you can talk about them with your family, with your spouse, with your friends, whatever. Uh, maybe you can just journal about them. Maybe you can just think about them. But something that hopefully will help you reflect a little bit between Sundays to let the message sink in a little bit more. Okay, so show up and follow along. Do the homework. And then the third one is the easiest one. Be open. Be open to the possibility that your life could change this Lent and Easter. Be open to the possibility that this could actually be a moment for God to reach into your hearts and transform you by his grace, to cause that explosion of his grace by his power. I think for most of us, we don't really think about this and we don't really think that it's possible that God could change our lives. Be open to that possibility. Last Lent, I had a life-changing Lent, and it was all surrounded and centered on this particular series. I didn't preach it during Mass, I preached it in a couple of other contexts, and it was truly life-changing for me, and I want that so badly for you, and to continue to happen for me. But that's for you to open yourself up to that. I will be praying for you, I'll be fasting for you, begging the Lord to bring His grace to Oakley, Goodridge, and Grigla, to bring His grace in a new way to us. Whether we've been following the Lord for decades, whether we're still just kind of getting into our faith, whatever it is, or anything in between, begging the Lord to bring about renewal among His church, among His people here in these towns so that together we can encounter the fullness of the gospel message, the fullness of the charisma, the proclamation of what God has done in the person of his son, Jesus.